Well, hey, we're glad to see you guys this morning. Thank you for being here and uh, worshiping with us. And uh, if, uh, if you're visiting with us, thank you for coming and hanging out with us. And uh, we are as crazy as they say. So, uh, but uh, no, thank you for, thank you for uh, spending the morning with us. Um, just to, just to make a, a, a one, at least one announcement and kind of mention one thing going on. Uh, because I don't want people showing up and you know not realizing what's going on next week. Next week is what we call Serve Sunday. Uh, if you've never been with us for Serve Sunday, here's what this looks like, okay? Because it's different. So if you show up at whichever service, first service, second service, it may throw you off, and I don't want it to. I'm trying to prepare you, okay? Uh, so next week, Serve Sunday. On Serve Sunday, we have one service. We do one service. And then uh, that's at 9 a.m., and it's an abbreviated service. And then we leave in teams. Well, some, most people are leaving. There's some people that stay and do things here too. Uh, but mostly leaving in teams to go serve our community. Wow, you know, big, big idea, right? Uh, and so, you know, years ago, we felt led to uh, lead our, you know, the leadership of our church felt led to lead our people in serving others, and said, you know, what's that look like? How can we, how can we have an impact on our community uh, on a regular basis that is, you know, uh, driven by us as a, the church as a whole? And so we came up with the idea of, you know, well, what would it look like if one Sunday every once in a while we gathered together for a quick service, and then we went. We went out, and we served people. And so uh, when you're leaving today, you can see I believe they've got a table out there set up uh, where you can sign up for a Serve Sunday project. You can also do so on the app uh, that they'll talk about later in the service. Uh, you can also do that through uh, the website online. So, uh, you know, just, just take an opportunity, sign up for something, come serve with us. There's all kinds of stuff. There's stuff where uh, you don't have to have any skills. There's stuff where we need people with skills. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's, all, over, it's all over the map, all kinds of things. Uh, that we've got going on, and it's an opportunity to go and serve. Um, and, you know, someone made mention uh, recently of, you know, hey, I'd love to see our church do more serving outside of Serve Sunday. And we do. And if you're a member, you already know that, because a lot of that stuff comes through our member page. Anytime there's a need, that's where we're posting that stuff. That's part of why we encourage people to be members, is we want people to be on the end of that stuff, uh, but sometimes that can't just be stuff that we just publicly throw out there of people's business that we're trying to serve them, help them in some way, uh, different needs or whatever. And the idea behind Serve Sunday isn't that it becomes the sacred cow and the only time that we serve. It is just us trying to practice what we are called to do all the time. And so we encourage people. Uh, if you find uh, ways, things, uh, that we can serve people in other ways on other days of the year, then absolutely, we want to get behind that stuff. Uh, we just need to know about it. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's coming up next week. One service, 9 a.m., sign up, go with us. Uh, we already have more people signed up for this Serve Sunday than we've ever had serve on a Serve Sunday. Uh, and, and that was of like a week ago. So, uh, pretty awesome stuff. Um, God's, God's doing just really cool stuff here, uh, if, you, if you didn't know. So uh, you're a part of that, and thank you for being a part of that. All right, um, all of you excited, sleep-deprived people, get your Bibles out. Let's go to Mark chapter 12. 
We have moved into a new chapter, chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, our ushers have Bibles. Let them bring you one. If you don't own one, you can keep that one. Consider it a gift. We'd love for you to have it and uh, take it uh, with you. If you just need to borrow it, that's fine too, and you can return it to the shelf on your way out today and help those guys out. But, uh, uh, but Mark chapter 12 is where we're going to today. Uh, to a, to a, I, I, you know, there's, there's just certain, there's certain passages that I see as like historic moments in Scripture of things that maybe Jesus says or, you know, whatever it is that's happening. But uh, this, this to me is kind of one of those moments in Scripture where we see Jesus talking about something that I'm just kind of like, man, this is like one of those moments, you know. And, and I, I know that the people that heard him knew uh, what he was saying, in fact, we'll see, let's make a little more sense here in just a second, but you'll see that, you know, they're, they're kind of in a moment with Jesus as he's talking about this and, and sharing about this and all that good stuff. And so uh, it's, pretty, it's a pretty awesome passage, uh, to say the least, and uh, we're getting to share in it today. Jesus actually shares a parable in this passage, uh, and it's the first time in a while that we see in the book of Mark Jesus sharing a parable. Mark didn't, uh, he didn't pin a whole lot of the parables that Jesus shared uh, but he did a couple, uh, which is kind of crazy. Uh, you know, when you think about it, you think about the other Gospels and stuff. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not real sure why Mark did that, but that's, that's the way Mark wrote um, his, his uh, Gospel of Christ. Uh, and I'll go back over that just because a lot of people may not know or maybe you're new to the faith or uh, you haven't been with us for a while or whatever. But, um, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are each accounts of Jesus' life. They're called the Gospels because they are... Um, telling us the story of Christ. So imagine like four of your friends each writes a book about you, which by the way, I would love to read uh, on many of you, uh, and I could write one on some of you, uh, and maybe I'll do that one day. Uh, but uh, no, uh, but you know, imagine, imagine that happening. And so you get four accounts of your life and each one has things to share that maybe some of the others don't or some of the same stories that some of the others do. And so that's kind of what you've got going on there. And, of course, uh, for us, it's all about Jesus. Uh, you know, for the church, it's all about Jesus. For uh, God's kingdom, it's all about Jesus. And so, and so, again, four stories about Jesus. This one just happens to be penned uh, by a guy named Mark, and we believe that's probably the account of the apostle Peter, uh, who uh, Mark traveled with, and we know we're close, and uh, we just believe from many of the stories, just the way that it's written, that uh, that's probably the case. Uh, neither here nor there, it's, it's, part of, it's part of the story of Jesus, and uh, we have that today. And in this passage today, uh, we have Jesus. Um, I think we have to kind of tell what's just happened here to kind of catch us up to speed, to be reminded. Uh, Jesus has been uh, teaching and telling some things, uh, that's kind of getting him in trouble uh, with certain people, but especially like government types, um, because at this point in time, the people who were looking for the Messiah to come were looking for someone who would save them politically. And that being the case, this made all of the kings and all of those people in leadership kind of scared, uh, because real quickly, Jesus had a following. And the following was growing, and it was getting stronger. And as it was growing and getting stronger, um, you know, you've got this moment here where, um, you know, there's some tension. Uh, Jesus uh, has just, uh, to kind of pick up the last few weeks here, Jesus has just come back to Jerusalem, okay? And this is like, this was foretold that this would happen, 
that he would ride into town on a donkey and all of these things, and everybody would sing his praises, and they would love him, and here's the Messiah, and everybody's excited. And again, many of them, most of them are still looking for this like political savior type thing to like be the great president kind of idea, you know, like save the day or whatever, and, and give them everything that they want, God's people, that is, they. And so, um, you know, all that being said, Jesus has come into town, he's done that, and then now he's cleared the temple of all of the money changers. Basically, he's gotten rid of all these people who were uh, thieves uh, and stealing from people and uh, taking advantage of people in God's temple. Uh, and, and there's a whole lot to this, but the long and the short of it is, is that the people in charge at that moment in time, and especially and specifically the spiritual leaders, uh, this hurt them the most because this was like their little like cash cow that they had created this little crooked system to take advantage of people so that when they would come and make a sacrifice, they would have to buy it there and all this kind of stuff. And it was just crazy, crazy, crazy whole deal. Jesus comes in, he sees all this awful mess, and he clears it out, which makes all those people mad, like real mad. Like, you know, this is part of the plan. This is part of like what Jesus, Jesus knows what's going on. Jesus knows what's coming. I mean, this, we're in the week at this point. The moment that he comes back to Jerusalem, we're in the week of when they're going to kill Jesus. So we have this like understanding of what's going to happen, and Jesus knows what's going to happen. They, they just know they want to kill him. They don't know that they're, that they're about to like, you know, help play out this plan that God the Father sent his son to do. And that's exactly what's going on here in this passage. And so as this passage is unfolding, you have after the passage of the fig tree and Jesus clearing the temple, you can go back and look at that or listen to the podcast or whatever, uh, you've got this passage uh, that comes right before this one, which we studied last week, which is uh, them coming to Jesus and they're like, what authority do you come in? And he's like, well, I'll tell you what authority I come in, but you've got to answer my question first. And then they're not willing to answer his question, which was about John the Baptist and whether or not he came from the Lord or, or was from man and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it was a trick question. They were both trick questions. They were trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, I've got a trick question for you. I'll trap you in front of this whole crowd. And if you say that he's, if he was from man, then, which is what they wanted to say, then the crowd's going to get you. And so that's still the crowd that they're around, and they're still together right now, and they're still with Jesus. And so this passage today is this passage where Jesus teaches one more thing before they go away. And in this passage, Jesus talks to them through a parable. Now, I don't know if you remember about parables or not, but Jesus talks about why he teaches with parables earlier in the book of Mark. He talks about how he, he teaches through parables many times so that those who believe will understand what he's saying and those that don't believe may not understand what he's saying. But I'll say that and say this. In this parable, Jesus is clearly communicating some things, although it may seem like code, he is clearly communicating some things that are 100% told in the Old Testament before he was to come and the people that are listening to him, the Sanhedrin or the, you know, the scribes or the, you know, any of these people, the priests, whoever, that are listening to this, these people that are all kind of in this crooked, you know, we're the religious leaders, but they're really crooked kind of thing. They know what he's talking about. So as Jesus starts to tell this story, 
They know exactly what part they play in the story, and they know what part he plays in the story. And they don't like it, okay? And so it's just another, to be honest, it's just another nail in the coffin that they're ready to kill Jesus. And they are. These guys are ready to kill Jesus. Also, to kind of put this in light, we are at this point three days out before they are going to kill Jesus. Three days out. Now, I don't know what you've got happening in three days, but if I know somebody's going to kill me in three days, I think I'm going to be a bit scatterbrained. But Jesus is like laser-focused with what he wants to say. Mark 12, verse 1, it says this. Mark 12, verse 1. It says, And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. Jesus is telling a story that's going to lead to something here in a minute. And he's, and he's, and he's, given, you know, he's given some detail. I think it's worthwhile that not only is Jesus giving some detail, Mark is sharing that detail with us. One of the things that we know about Mark and uh, his gospel is that he's very to the point. And so when he gives detail, I think there's, I think there's a lot of reason for it. You know? and, and in this particular situation, he's telling some of the details of the story that Jesus is telling. He's not leaving some of these things out. He's showing, he's showing a lot of care. And he's actually showing care that in the story, as we see this, that there's a man who plants a vineyard, and he puts a fence around it, and he digs a pit for a wine press, and he built a tower, and he leased it to tenants, and then he goes into another country. So this is, this is actually a, a fairly like common thing. Like to the people at that time, they understood everything that he just said. Like, like it was, you know, vineyards, uh, big deal. You know, there was a lot, a lot of vineyards at that point in time. And for, for people to do uh, what this guy's done was pretty commonplace to, you know, to have a farm and have a crop and, you know, hire people basically to take care of it. And then they go somewhere else and probably deal with other things or live somewhere else or whatever. And then they want to come back and, you know, it's, it's, you know, this is all pretty, this is pretty common stuff. The people knew exactly what he was talking about. Uh, by the way, the, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, uh, they, they were just making grape juice or whatever. They weren't really making wine because people, some people don't want to believe that alcohol was a part of Scripture or whatever. Uh, that's not true. I mean, it was, it was wine, okay? And so, you know, I think, I think for, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a couple of, let me, let me side note on this for just a second because I think, I think this is worth mentioning here. Um, you know, for folks that don't, don't want to believe that alcohol is a part of Scripture, I mean, it just is. I mean, that's, you know, the, when Jesus turns water into wine and we see all that, I mean, it's, it's wine, okay? And, and I, get, I get some people's, you know, understanding of not wanting alcohol to be a part of stuff, but, but let's, just, let's just get biblical about this for just a second because there's really two sides of this coin uh, that uh, concern me at times. Um, the one side is denying what Scripture really is, and the other side is taking liberty with Scripture to say, oh, well, you know, there is alcohol in the Bible, and it's okay. It is okay. What's not okay is drunkenness. We're called to be sober-minded. And, and the reason I bring that up is because I actually had somebody uh, within the last week talk to me about, somebody said, you know, you know our church is known as the, as the alcohol church. That was the first time I'd ever heard that. Um, yeah, I don't, 
So, uh, but, but here's, but, but, but let, me, let me shed some light as to why I think that is. And this is not me knocking anybody else when I'm saying this. But because of where our church is in talking about location and a lot of the types of churches around us are very much anti-alcohol. And so what we try to do is be, okay, we want to be pro-Scripture. We won't be pro-anything. We want to be pro-Scripture. We want to be pro-Jesus. And what's the Bible say about this? Well, the Bible says, yes, it's okay to have a drink. It's not okay to be drunk. And, in, and part of that concern in that conversation I had with somebody, they said, you know, I see people within our church say things like, you know, we're not going to have the kids. We can, we, can, we can really go drink it up, and we'll just get an Uber and the idea behind that is kind of this like, I don't, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life except for in these moments. And I think we got to be real careful with that. Okay? I'm I'm totally for like if you came to my house on Super Bowl Sunday, some of my guys were sitting here, whatever, they had beer, whatever. Nobody, nobody was drunk. Okay? You know, and, and I'm cool with that. And and you say, Chris, this is kind of, you know, why are you harping on this one thing? I'm harping on this one thing because I think that we've got to be careful that in the context in which God has put this church, that we are careful not to take a sin and adopt it as being okay because we're going against the grain of of maybe what a lot of people around us are doing. Because listen, I'm telling you, there's people who send their, uh, let's say their kids or their grandkids to our church that'll say, you know, that's not a church for me, but but that's a church that I think could reach my kids, my grandkids. I don't, want, I don't want some type of reputation, which I don't think is necessarily true, I hope it's not, about our church to keep us from reaching people for the gospel because at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. It's not about what we get to do or what we don't get to do. We gave up our rights and we said, Jesus, you be the Lord of our life. So I know that's a side note, and it's kind of crazy, but that, I just I felt led to, to kind of hit on that while we were talking about the vineyard thing, because we're talking about vineyards and wine presses, and it's real wine, okay? So here we go. So the guy digs a pit, he builds a fence, he plants a vineyard, and then he hires people to run the thing, and then he goes out of the country. Well, him going out of the country, this whole idea of him going out of the country, you know, seems like, oh, it seems kind of crazy. No, I mean, it's just, again, pretty common thing. What's not common is what's about to happen, because it's about to get crazy. And it says in verse 2, it says, When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Now, this seems just very, you know, not a big deal, right? This seems like just very understandable, you know? Like, this isn't, this isn't a big deal. You know, he, he, wants, he put all that money in it. I want some grapes, too, you know? I'm like, give me some grapes, you know? You ever had Concord grapes, like, off the vine? You know what I'm talking about? Like the real thing, that, that's the junk right there. That's, I'm, I'm telling you. And, and so anyway, uh, you know, he, he, wants, he wants to see and taste the bounty of his labor. He's, he's made an investment here. And so no big deal, right? Right? So then in verse 3, then in verse 3 we have this. It says, and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. What? So he sends the servant, and it says, and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Verse 4, it keeps going. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head 
and treated him shamefully. And again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. Verse 5, and he sent another. We're on number three, if you're not counting. And him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. So, guys in another country, he's just, he's just sending somebody for some grapes. Just go get me something of what we've been working on. I'd like to taste it and bring it back to me. Go check it out. Let me know what you think. Let me know how you think it's going out there. The people that he hired have decided that they want to take over. The people that he hired decided that they want to take over. They don't want anybody coming and testing anything. They don't want anybody taking back a sample. They don't want anybody. They, <laughs> they are ready to literally kill these people that the, that the owner of the property, that the owner of the vineyard is sending out to get a test or whatever it is, what's up? What's up? They were not well received. In verse 6, again, remember this is a story that Jesus is telling. And remember there's a reason why Jesus is telling this story, and especially like even in this moment. In this moment, Jesus tells the story, and in verse 6 he says this. It says, he had still one other, a beloved son. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. This is a crazy story. This is a crazy story. In fact, uh, you know, as you read stories, generally speaking, and almost, you know, I, I feel this, I felt this way, you know, as I was beginning to study on this passage, you know, like most stories, you have like, you know, bad thing, bad thing, bad thing, bad thing, good thing that prevails overall, you know? That's usually, that's, usually the way, that's usually the way these types of stories read to us. And so you're kind of expecting, okay, well, he's going to send his son, and that's going to change everything. He sends his son, and they kill him. And they see it as an opportunity to inherit the vineyard, to make it theirs. This proves the point that they really just want to be in charge. They really want to be the owners. They really want the thing to, to themselves. And in verse 8, it goes on, it says, And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Notice in verse 6 what it says. He had still one other, a beloved son. A beloved son. Jesus is making a point. And he's actually using Scripture to do it. He's using Scripture that has already been told and that all of these people already know. As this story unfolds, for the people that are listening to this story at this moment in time as he's teaching it, 
I guarantee you they're starting to sweat. I guarantee you that they're finding themselves like in this like moment or whatever, like, you know, trying to figure out like what's he what's he about to get at. As as the story unfolds, they know he's talking about them, and they know he's talking about himself. What did it say, verse six? He still had one other a beloved son. Finally he said to him, finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. The inheritance will be ours. Everybody wants the inheritance. Everybody wants the inheritance. These folks were so misled. These folks were so misled. And, and truthfully, we could say in that, you know, in the story, the people are misled. The truth is, is that the story really isn't about the story. The story is about the scripture that the story is based around. I want to keep reading, and then we're going to come to that. Verse 9, it says this. It says, What will the vineyard, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. So let's talk about the story. The vineyard stands for something. The sun stands for something. The builders stand for something. And the rejected stand for something. The vineyard. The vineyard is a metaphor for the people of Israel. The people of Israel. And we know this because throughout Scripture, we actually see, we actually see uh, it shared by different people. You see this in Nehemiah, you see it in John, you see it in Isaiah. In fact, I want to read to you a passage out of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, we're going to read two verses, verse 3 and verse 5. And it says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, the men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard, And then in verse 5 it says, And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. So this is Scripture that we have from long before Christ came, where God is helping us to see something really important. And that's that He already knows that there's going to come a time when the people of Israel will no longer wait for it, because this is tying right back into our fig tree and some of the things that we've been talking about before, not bearing fruit. The people of Israel, being the vineyard at a point, are not bearing fruit. Not bearing fruit. Well, I mean, that goes right back to the old fig tree. Remember, remember Jesus and the fig tree? This is just last chapter. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about that. Fig tree wasn't bearing fruit. Jesus goes to it. 
He ends up killing the tree. He curses the tree. It dies from the roots up uh, literally within 24 hours. And, and the whole purpose of him doing that wasn't because he was just having a bad day and felt like taking it out on a tree. You know, Jesus was making a point that this is the people of Israel. This is God's people not bearing fruit. And he's making this point, like, you don't bear fruit, eventually you're going to get pruned. Jesus is trying to help them to understand something. They knew as soon as he started telling a story about a vineyard, they knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was talking about all of those people who said they were following God, but they weren't bearing fruit. Remember, this is the same people who had basically set up this whole system, this whole system, so that um, they could make money in the temple. And this whole making money in the temple thing was this huge deal where, you know, again, they were crooked. They weren't following Jesus. They were in it for themselves. They were in it for themselves. I think this is important for us today. I think it's important for us today for us to see that God cares that much about our worship. He cares that much about what we idolize that he, he doesn't want us to put anything before him, not because, not because he's egotistical, but because he knows what's best for us as his creation. He created us, you know? God wants to do a great work in us and through us. And ultimately, he does that by using us for his glory, pointing others to himself. Because when he points others to himself, when other people know who God is, know who Jesus is because they know us, well then that's them hearing the gospel. That's him giving them the keys to eternity. That's them him giving them the keys to real life. That's him giving them the keys to be forgiven of sin. I mean, like, how, how awesome is that? And so God's constantly pointing people back to that because we're his creation and he loves us and he cares for us and he wants us to know him. He's saying, I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to come to my Super Bowl party. Just be sober-minded, right? I'd throw it in there, right? By the way, that's so that we're led, we're always being led by the Lord. That's, that's the purpose in that. It's not some legalistic thing, okay? So we see this passage, we see this passage where, where Jesus begins to, to flesh out this whole you know, idea of like the, the vineyard, okay? So we've got the people of Israel, and then you get down to verse 6. After they have killed all of these servants that have gone before him, which by the way, let's just go ahead and, let's go ahead and talk about that. That's the rejected, okay? The people that were being rejected were the people that God had been sending to tell of his good news, to tell of what he's wanting to do, all of those people that we know, many of them as prophets, to come before Jesus, who were rejected, and many of them killed for preaching and teaching what they knew about God and what he was leading them to do. And so you've got servant after servant, and he keeps sending, and he keeps sending, and you kind of think, you know, man, God, you know, or Jesus, what's up with this story? Like this guy that owns the vineyard, he just keeps sending people. Yeah, that's what God did. He just kept sending people. 
He just, he, he'd send a David and he'd send a, uh, Zachariah, he'd send, I mean, he just over, you know, just send all these people for years and years and hundreds and thousands of years. He's sending people to try to lead, you know, what they do, what they do with guys like Noah. They just laughed at him. He's like, I'm trying to save you. And they would be rejected. And many of them would be killed. So then he says, you know what? I'll send the son. They won't kill my son. Of course, God knew what they would do. And in the story that Jesus tells, the owner of the vineyard thinks, well, I'll send the son. They won't kill the son. He's an heir. And they'll listen to him. And then he gets there, and what do they do? They see it as an opportunity to take over and be in charge so that they can hold the reins to it all. You you got to see where this sounds so familiar to the people that are listening to this, like these little religious leaders who are in the wrong, these people who are saying that they're following God, but they're not really following God, they're really just following their own interests. Like they're shaking in their boots at this point. Like when he's getting to this point in the deal, I mean, they already know that he's proclaiming to be the son of God. They already know that people are believing in Jesus to be the son, to be the Messiah, and all this, and all they can think about is, You just took away our chickens and lambs that we were selling in the temple. And now I'm not sure how I'm going to buy my wife some new rocks or whatever it was that they got each other for Valentine's Day. I'll read that again in verse 6. It says, he had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Come, let us kill him. Jesus wasn't stupid. Jesus knew what they were planning to do. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. The inheritance will be ours. See what he's saying, right? See, he's saying, like, I know what you're trying to do. I know that you want to kill me, and I know that it's because you want to get me out of the way so that you can have everything to yourself. In verse 8, and they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. They threw him out of the vineyard. Where did they kill Jesus? They didn't kill him in the middle of Jerusalem. They took him out of the vineyard. They took him up on a hill and they crucified him on a cross with criminals. They were determined that Jesus was going to die. They were determined Jesus was going to die. The vineyard is Israel, the son is Jesus. The rejected are the prophets who came before, who they beat, some they killed. And then it goes on. Let's read verse 9 again. It says, What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? And here's this passage that we'll read here in just a second out of the book of Psalms. It says, The stone that the builders rejected 
has become the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The builders are those men who he's talking to right then. Now, sure, there's other people listening to the story, but really the story wasn't wasn't really for all the disciples to, to hear as much as it was for these leaders of Israel, these religious leaders who were not following God. He was being real clear here. The builders rejected the cornerstone. Interesting thing about a cornerstone is, you know, typically you think of a cornerstone being the stone that is used as like the base. Like you've got to start somewhere when you're building, you know. Uh, I, I find, I, by the way, I find all that fascinating, it, even just the, the thought that we're going to be building on uh, to our building. I, I just, I, I find it fascinating to think like, how do you know, like, what's, where do you start? Like, where are you going to put that first thing or whatever it is? You know, I just, I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of crazy to me. And as I've thought about that, even, I, I've just thought to myself, you know, in that, you know, as you, as you see that, as that, as that takes place, you know, you have to have those starting pieces. Well, a cornerstone is one of those pieces, like, you start with that. Like, that is the basis of, like, the foundation that everything is built off of. Um, and, and so that, hence that terminology that we have that kind of goes along with uh, a cornerstone. And we, and, and we see throughout Scripture, Jesus referred to as the cornerstone. And so Jesus, again, here, he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We well, saying, well, the builders, the stone that the builders, the builders being the uh, religious leaders at this point in time, had rejected will be the cornerstone. Well, the cornerstone, of course, is Jesus. And he says in verse 11, this was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. He's kind of saying, you know, you're, you're part of the plan. Like, we knew you'd react this way. The Father knew that you'd react this way. He sent me in here knowing that three days before I would be killed, this would be the conversation that would be had. And in verse 12 it says, And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. You see that? So there's, there's no questioning at this point. Like, did they, did they realize what Jesus meant? Did they realize that they were a part of the story? Oh, no, they knew. <laughs> Verse 12 tells us that they knew, and they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. You see, they were ready to kill Jesus that day. But that wasn't God's plan. And the truth is, is the the main reason that they didn't try to go after Jesus, I'm sure especially after he took away their cash cow, and then secondly, he tells this story that obviously is pointing to them doing something that is against God. Because again, this is all terminology from Scripture he didn't just make up the vineyard thing. That's all over. That's Nehemiah. That's Isaiah. That's, you know, all these places. But then on top of that, you've got in Psalm 118, verse 22. Psalm 118, verse 22. It says, 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. You see, Jesus is quoting to them Scripture as part of this whole thing. The beloved son? What about the beloved son? When do we see Jesus called the beloved son? Let's just take the book of Mark, since that's kind of what we've been focused on here. And just in the book of Mark, already Jesus has been called the beloved son two times. Two times. You want to guess when? The first one is Mark 1.11, and it says this. This is during Jesus' baptism, okay? It says, and a voice came from heaven, okay? A voice came from heaven, not the crowd, not Jesus himself, but a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. I'm going to tell you, I would have a hard time believing that they hadn't heard that already. I'm talking about the people that were listening to Jesus share this story on this day. I'm pretty sure that they had probably heard, well, you know, that day that Jesus was baptized by that guy, John, I mean, there was a voice from heaven that, that called down and called Jesus the beloved son. So I kind of think there's something to that. My cousin was there, and my cousin don't lie because he's a pretty honest cousin out of all my cousins, you know? Furthermore, furthermore, now here you're talking about a smaller group, but at least the disciples are here to hear him teach this so that they can turn around and retell the story so that, again, Jesus is again called the beloved son. You want to guess when? It's in Mark 9, 7, and it's part of the transfiguration. The transfiguration where the Father speaks down again to Jesus, and guess what it says? It says in Mark 9, 7, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, Listen to him. Where'd the voice come? Out of the cloud. Out of the cloud. Remember the cloud, transfiguration? Awesome passage. We talked about it a while back. We have two instances where Jesus is called the beloved son. And now we have the first time in which Jesus refers to himself as the beloved son. And he does, throw, does so through a parable. But they know who he's talking about. They're not stupid. They know who he's talking about. They don't have to be Jesus fanboys to figure it out. They know. Interesting thing about the cornerstone that is rejected, widely understood and thought that the rejected cornerstone of the temple ended up being the stone known as the capstone, which would go on top of the entrance to the temple. It's a stone that it, it's, not, it's not good for being a cornerstone because it's not perfectly square or rectangular or you know, whatever you need a cornerstone to be. Don't ask me because I don't know. But the capstone is kind of a funky-shaped stone. You know, and, 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 and when you're talking about the entrance of something made out of stone, at the top of that, generally speaking, if it's not made square, which was tougher to do back then especially, but if you especially want it to be ornate and circular or whatever, there needs to be a stone that's kind of funky, that fits up top, that kind of almost becomes like an ornament for everyone to see. 
is they come to the temple. Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus tells the story of the fig tree. He clears the temple. Or we see the story of the fig tree. He clears the temple. The fig tree dies. And we begin to understand that really this is all just figurative for the people of God not bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. That the people of God are not bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. Let me, if it's okay, and I promise you, I don't mean it as some like kick in the shin or whatever here. But let, let, me, let me warn us. If we consider ourselves the people of God, if we consider ourselves people who love Jesus and want to follow him, may we not ever get to a point where we cease to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. May we not ever stop listening to what the Lord is leading us to do. May we never check out. May we never retire. May we never stop following him and seeking him to allow him to guide and lead us in this life to be the people of God, lest the fact that we might be pruned. And i got to tell you, I've seen it. I feel like in my lifetime, as a kid, I saw it. And as, as an adult, I've seen it. As a pastor, I've seen it. As a friend, I've seen it. I've seen people who've fallen away from the Lord. And I've seen God continue to like do these incredible things to like try to reach to them and grab them and drag them back in. And yet, at the same time, they just keep running the other way and running the other way and running the other way. And why? The same reason that we all do at times in our life. And it's because we want the inheritance without the work. We want the inheritance without the work. And we want to do it our way. We want to be in charge. Do you know what that means? It's saying we want to be God. And it never works out good for us. Never works out good for us. I'll ne- I will never forget. I can't forget. I've told this before, so forgive me if you've heard me tell it. I'll never forget when I was um, a teenager, maybe late, late teens, probably close to 19, 20 years old. There was a, a man that I looked up to very much, and uh, he was a part of a church that, uh, that my dad's been the pastor of for years. And um, this, this man was close to my father, uh, but yet... At the same time, uh, he was very vocal against, uh, you know, a, a kind of a vision that God had put on uh, that church to move forward, to grow, um, and in fact, it had to do with building and all this kind of stuff. And, and long story short, he, he was very vocal. Of course, they had the, you know, they had the business meeting thing where it was like open mic night and everybody could share their opinions and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, he, he would get up and he would do that. And it was, man, it was poisonous. I mean, I, I saw some of it. I heard about some of it. It just, just, I mean, just, you know, talking about like tearing people apart and all this kind of stuff. And then right, I'm talking about right smack dab in the middle of that going on. I mean smack dab in the middle of that going on. Here's this guy who had owned his own business and was like, I mean, he's a, he's a man's man, like do it his way. He know you don't tell him anything kind of thing. But like really, and at the heart of it, I was a really good dude. But just gotten sideways with, you know, 
a vision that I think that the Lord was leading this church to go in. And in the middle of that, in the middle of that, he died. He died. And I can't forget because I, I knew my dad loved him very much. And I was at the house, happened to be at the house the night that it happened. And my mom looked at me and she said, you know what just happened, don't you? I said, no, what's going on? And she said, so-and-so died. And she said, your dad's about to leave and go to the hospital and, and be there with his wife and stuff. She said, you might ought to go with him. And I said, okay, I'll go. So I went with dad. And he'd been sitting in front of the TV eating popcorn. And he literally just fell over out of his chair and died. Now, you can say it's all by accident. But I can tell you that as we stood by his dead body at a hospital that no longer exists here in Nashville, that my dad looked at me and he said, I'm sure going to miss him. And he meant it. He said, I'm sure going to miss him. And he said to me something I'll never forget. He said, I really fear. He said, but I shouldn't fear because it's all part of God's plan. He said, I really fear that the Lord went ahead and took him that he might stand in the way of what he wanted to do. I think that we've got to be careful about this thing that we call life. That we make sure that we let the Lord lead us in it. And that we're willing to follow, even when it gets dirty, even, even when it gets hairy, even when, even when you know, it's not comfortable or it's out of our comfort zone, that we would let the Lord lead us. That God doesn't have to prune us. Maybe he has to prune somebody else. I, I, I can't tell you. I, you know, for me, I, I'm the guy, and, and the guys around here will tell you, I'm the guy that, like, I want everybody to make the ride. If one person, if, if let's, say, let's say you're a visitor today, I want the bottom, like, bottom of my heart is, I would love for you to come here, find that this is the church that God would lead you to and that you would stay here forever and serve Jesus faithfully and be a disciple of Christ and lead others to Jesus and uh, just be a part of this family. Like, that's my heart. And I have cried many tears over the years of the people that didn't stay, people that I loved, people that I've cared for. You know, I mean, it, and, and the truth is it's just part of the ride. Not everybody can stay, not, everybody, not everybody's going to live here forever, right? You know, people move and, I mean, all kinds of things. And the truth is, is that sometimes God just moves people on. And it's okay. Even though sometimes I'm not okay with it. It's okay, you know? The bottom line for Israel at this point in time was that Israel's leaders wanted the vineyard's fruit for themselves. They wanted to be God. They wanted to do it their way. I don't want to do it our way. I want to do it his way. Some will reject him, and some will receive him as Savior. But here's the truth. If you're sitting here today and you've never trusted in Jesus to be your Savior, He's still chasing after you. He's not going to stop chasing after you. But I, I, I beg with you today, don't turn him away. 
Don't reject him. Listen to what God is saying to your heart. Listen to how he's leading you to trust in him, to be your savior. Share this passage and we'll close. 1 Peter 2, 4. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The living stone rejected by men has called us to in turn be like living stones who are built up as spiritual houses. The house being the temple, being us, our body, ourselves, that we would follow Jesus as he has led and set the example for us. Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus is the one who gets to be the pastor of 24 Church. Not me. He is why everything that we do here is worth it. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would lead us. And I pray that we would follow. I pray that you would impress upon us, Lord, not just what to do, but God, even the desire to do it. God, I pray that we would, that we would foresee, Lord, those people who need you, the lost, Lord, people that haven't ever trusted in you to be their Savior. God, people that live in our community, people that are our neighbors. God, people that are hurting and people, Lord, that just the bottom line is they need Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us to see that, Lord, in the call that you have given us to show us how important it is for us to do the work. God, may we recognize that, that we're just managers, Lord, of what you've called us to here. God, the vineyard is yours. God, I pray that we wouldn't try to make it our own. God, I pray, Lord, that we would follow you in it, and God, that you would be glorified through it. God, for anybody that's listening to me right now, God, that hasn't trusted in you, God, I pray that today they would trust in you and call on you to be their Lord and Savior. God, do the work that I can't do or anybody else can do, Lord, but only you can, Lord, save. Save those people that are lost. Save them from their sin, just as you have saved me from mine. Lord, give them new life, just as you have done for me. God, thank you for all that you do for us. May you be glorified in us. We ask this in your name. Amen.